0: Heavenly Father, God, we do come knowing that you have brought us here for purpose, God, that you have a plan for our lives, God, knowing that in the midst of the lives that we live that feel so busy, God, that this moment that we can be here where it's dark, where it's quiet, that you can speak to us, and God, we pray that you would speak to us and that we would listen. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Family Worship. If you are a student or a child, why don't you stand up for a second? Stand up. We uh, say in the upper building, you guys can stand up too, you're in high school. We, we say we, we want to get, you guys can actually model it, it would be really helpful. We say in the upper building we want to get the wiggles out. So let's get the wiggles out real quick for all the kids. Just wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Okay? Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. And have a seat. Well, we are so glad that you are here with us this morning. And uh, for those of you who um, who don't know, tomorrow starts Vacation Bible Adventure, and we're so excited to be with 300 and almost 400 kids and 175 volunteers, all wearing these red shirts. It should be a fun adventure, and I'm really looking forward to it. Well, let me start out this morning by telling you a quick story. I went to college. And when I went to college, uh, I went to college just over in Seattle, and as a part of my college experience, I was involved in something called the Inn at University Presbyterian Church. This was a number of years ago, but I remember one night after being at the Inn, we went to a coffee shop uh, in the University District, and uh, my friends and I, uh, we were all there, and I, for whatever reason, was sitting at one end of of the counter, and uh, I had a piece of pie in front of me, and I had a cup of coffee. And then this older gentleman sat down next to me, and he said, "Sort of an awkward, awkward conversation starter. Tell me what you believe." To me, as an eighteen-year-old uh, college freshman at SPU, I turned to him and I felt like, "Oh yeah, I got this," and I just came from the inn. I got this, and so I started telling him a little bit about what I believed, and as I shared with him what I believed, it, it was just, um, became very apparent to me in the midst of that conversation uh, that I didn't really know how to share what I believed, and I just sort of did kept telling, kept, and then I ended up petering out and just going, and that's kind of what I believe, <laughs> then he turned to me, and he said, uh, son, let me tell you what you should believe, uh, right there I got nervous, but I went with it. He started talking, and he shared with me a whole bunch of scripture that I hadn't heard used in this particular way before. He, uh, he talked about uh, a God in a sort of different view than I had of God, and he just kind of went through this whole thing, and he continually asked me this, these two questions in the midst of his conversation with me. Does this make sense, and how does this change how you think about your faith? just kept saying that over and over again and finally it got towards the end of this about 20 minute long dialogue that he was having and I was listening that I realized that the faith that he's sharing is not the faith that I have but then as I got ready to leave I realized but the faith that he's sharing he does such a better job of sharing than the faith that I have so I went back to my dorm room that night I sat down on my bed and that started about a three-month crisis in my faith journey I was so frustrated that while I was living for Jesus and while I was following that path, I really didn't know how to tell anyone about it. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. So let me give you the context of this passage. So Jesus in, uh, in chapter 13 and chapter 14 in the beginning, Jesus is sitting in the upper room with the disciples, and he has uh, just finished dinner with them. He's teaching to them. He has washed their feet. He's had this interesting dialogue with Peter where Peter doesn't seem to understand or doesn't seem to believe. And then Jesus tells Peter he's going to disown him. Uh, And then Thomas asks this question, how how will we know where you're going? How will we know where where we are going? And Jesus then ends with this verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, it's really interesting when Jesus says that, that, you kind of might wonder, why is it that the apostles didn't get it? Like, they've been with Jesus for a long chunk of time. Does anybody know how long they've been with Jesus? How long has Jesus been doing his ministry at this point before he is um, put on a cross? About three years. So three years of following this guy around, they still don't seem to get it. Now, part of me wants to say, well, I would have gotten it. I would have figured it out. Like, I, if I was with Jesus, I would, I would be able to understand him. But then I have to think back to my story with the man in the coffee shop, and I'd been walking with Jesus for about 18 years at that point, and I still didn't get it, didn't understand it, or know how to share. Well, in order to uh, uh, speak to you all today, I was thinking, how to best break up a verse that has three distinct parts? And I thought, that seems to line up pretty well with a three-point sermon. So we are going to look at how Jesus is the way, how Jesus is the truth, and how Jesus is the life. And we're going to start out by looking at how he is the way. So Jesus, in talking to his disciples, one of the versions I really like of this verse in the Bible uses the word road instead of way. So it's this it's idea that Jesus is the road in which we are traveling. Jesus is the road in, on which we move towards God. Jesus is the path that is leading us to ultimately where God wants us to go. And uh, it's a great way to think about how he does that. And practically what this means is Jesus is our way towards salvation. We know that from the book of Romans when it says that uh, that Jesus came and, and um, was crucified, dead, buried, and was resurrected all for our sins and for our And for our salvation. Jesus is ultimately, uh, he is the way, and the way is leading us towards salvation. And what is the way? This is important. The way of Jesus isn't that we would be able to have the entire Bible memorized. That would be nice and really helpful. But the way of Jesus is a lot of the things that we as a church are doing. It's caring about people. It's loving on people that are hurting. It's walking alongside of people Who need help. A lot of what this church and many of you are always and already doing. Now, what is the way of Jesus not? Well, the way of Jesus is not um, a lot of the things that we somehow decided to label Christian a while back. Let me give you an example. When I was in a youth group back in the 80s, I had a youth pastor, and many of us had youth pastors that encouraged us to take all of the music that we had that used to get played on the radio and destroy it. And so we would have these uh, parties. Parties is a loose word, term. We would have these, these um, times at church where we would all bring our records or our CDs, if it was like 84 and beyond. I had a CD in 1984. Um, it, we would bring them to church and we would smash them or burn them. And then the Christian music industry, we were so grateful for them. They would then come out with music that was just like the artists we listened to, but with Christians somehow in their title, or in their name. That's why we ended up with bands like Striper. Um, You look at that and you go, totally Christian. Or uh, for the ladies, Plus One, which was the Christian boy band that was wonderful. Jesse Rice was in that one uh, back in the day. Um, I think it's important, though, as we raise and grow our young people, that we allow them to figure out what the way looks like. Um, Sadly, I almost always go back to uh, the, um, the story of David fighting Goliath. And when we look at that story, we see David uh, getting a whole bunch of armor put on him that doesn't quite fit, and David realizing, this isn't going to be the way that I need to be prepared to be in battle. So he takes off all the armor and grabs his sling and a couple of stones and goes after Goliath that way. Practically speaking, in our children's ministry and our youth ministry, we provide opportunities for students and children to figure out the way of Jesus And how it is going to work. It is, uh, you know how we do that practically. And I know I'm using the word practically a lot. But I want you to understand it. Is we encourage them to get to know you. And I don't just mean you as mom and dad. I mean you as a congregation. I mean you as elders. I mean you as uh, some of our senior congregants. I mean you as high school students. It's when we are living a faith that is following the way that other people see it. That they can start understanding it. My question to you today is, how bought into the, Jesus as the way are you in your own faith journey? Now let's go on to looking at the truth. We learn from these verses that the apostles don't fully understand what's going on. They don't seem to even comprehend the truth of who Jesus in, is, even after, such years, so, uh, even after so many years following him. Truth is such an interesting topic, Right? Especially nowadays, um, because there's so many different versions of it, and different people uh, ex- have different things that they think to be true and not true. Let me share with you just a quick story in my own life. So two weeks ago, I took my three kids, 12, 10, and 8, to the Fremont Parade. Some of you have been there. We were smart enough, to, I was smart enough, to not go to the beginning of the parade. But, uh, so I skipped that part. But we got there about halfway through, and uh, my kids... And I, sitting on the side of the parade route, saw some pretty interesting things. Now, um, I was hesitant to tell you this, um, but I decided it was a good enough story that I probably should. And I also wanted you to know that um, my kids, these, this pastor's kids, will likely be screwed up at some point in their life <laughs> because of things like this. But uh, here's, here's the reason I took them. And, and this, I think, will help you understand the point and realize I'm not such a bad pastor. I took them because I wanted them to see that in the state that they live, we've lived here for about a year, that when they come to church, they're really in a minority setting of people. Like there are not a lot of people. My son goes to a middle school in a Lake Washington School District and his middle school has, you know, roughly 600 students at it. And, and I want him to know that of those 600 students in there, there's a, probably a really small percentage that are Christians. And that even though my kids, uh, the most of the things my kids do outside of school is sports and come to church, uh, I wanted them to know that we are in the minority. We believe some very specific things, but the rest of the world doesn't believe the same things. So as we were driving to dinner, we were having this conversation, and I just said, Hey guys, you know, how, did you, how did you feel? They're like, that was really weird. And, uh, you know, what did you think? And then we had this conversation about faith and how that lines up and how we believe and how we live as Christians. And it was really interesting um, because they really seemed to understand it. Um, Let me just say it like this. It's pretty normal to ride a bicycle naked if your moral compass is pointing at yourself. Right? You may not understand that now, but you'll think about it all day long. I'm not making fun of people that were riding bicycles naked because I would expect that if all of us here weren't believers... There are some of us who probably would do the same thing, because that's just normative, and that's not that's not wrong, and that's not saying the world, I'm I'm not saying that they're evil, wrong, all of that. The Fremont Parade is not evil and wrong. However, there are people there that are searching for truth, and a truth that we as a church can give them. In this passage today, Jesus points to God the Father as he declares himself the truth of what God is doing. I think of it in this way: um, as uh, as I was interacting with a guy in the coffee shop, I was he was lost in what I would call a sea of half-truths, as he was presenting the Bible that didn't have Jesus at the center. I don't believe that he and I would have believed that Jesus was the only path of God. I think the path that his Jesus was leading him on was not really one that I wanted to be on. Foundationally, though, we don't want to get caught up so much in feeling like we need to argue people to faith by expounding on our truth. In fact, that's one of the things that tends to push people away, right? Right? The person standing on the corner shouting the truths of God and the Bible and Jesus, expecting that to make a difference in the lives of people walking by. But I do think that as we look at all of parts of this verse, Jesus telling us that he's the way. If we can show people what that looks like as we follow the way, then we lead into some truth, ultimately leading towards having life in Jesus. I guess it could be a little bit unsettling, just the last point in this section, to think about why it was it that the disciples didn't get it. Like they didn't understand the truth. Well, just a quick reminder that the disciples were likely in their late teens and in their early 20s. And how many of us were doubting truths that had been told to us in our late teens and early 20s? I was one for sure. So the question here to think about is how much is Jesus your truth? And kids who were here Ask your parents that question on your way home. How much is Jesus your truth, mom or dad? So I love talking about uh, both the life of Jesus and how Jesus gives us life. Following Jesus is amazing. It's so much fun. I wish that I could stop talking right now, take a mic, and just wander around and hand the mic to you all and say, tell us about a story of following Jesus. Tell us about a story of following Jesus. I think it would be so significant and impactful. Um, I don't think we hear him enough. Last month I was on a men's retreat and uh, I was uh, in a small group with uh, about eight guys. And one of the guys in our small group was an older gentleman who I'll call Bob because that was his name. And uh, he wasn't saying anything. He wasn't sharing anything. And and I said, uh, I don't know why that God... uh, prompted me to ask him the question, but I said, hey, Bob, can you share with us some stories? And Bob's, Bob's face lit up, and uh, he, he started like this. Forty years ago, I retired, and I was thinking, that's how long I've been alive. <laughs> and, and he said, let me tell you how I've been serving the church since I retired. And he went on to tell me these amazing stories of uh, how we used to take youth group kids rappelling up in the mountains and rock climbing up in the mountains um, this was back in the day before we really had to worry about a lot of insurance stuff. But, uh, and then he, he used to take kids to, uh, to Mexico and do all these amazing Mexico trips. And uh, as he was telling this story, you could just see the light in his eyes of somebody who had been following Jesus with his life. And what was really neat about this is he then came up to me afterwards um, and told me that uh, uh, he regularly walks through our church. And uh, very often these um, moms around my age will come up to him and go, Hey, Bob, when you took me repelling back when I was in high school, that changed my life and how I came to understand fear. You taught me uh, of living a life that is so um, out there and challenging myself and doing all that, and that was amazing. I love that story, and I know that there are people in this congregation who have so many stories like that that they could share with it. What Jesus is saying that he's alive, he's making a strong statement about ultimately what he does for us. I love the image of a a dry and parched land. Imagine if those of you who have ever been to Israel, you know what it looks like there in the places where it's dry and parched. But the places where there's water, wow, they grow, you probably don't know this, but they grow an incredible amount of fruit in Israel. Um, Watermelons, I generally thought, not real smart, I thought watermelons grew in places where there was a lot of water not in places that are dusty and dry and deserty. I went to Israel and I found that I was wrong. Picture um, it this way. Picture the most boring Sunday school class you have ever sat in or the worst sermon you have ever heard. Imagine what it would be like to to, uh, try and tell someone who doesn't know Jesus or is a non-believer who is out there in the world that you want to invite them into a faith that looks like that. You want to invite them into a faith where uh, somebody falls asleep in the middle of the sermon. Can you imagine how excited they would be to come to your church? Is this the kind of Jesus that we're preaching? I hope not. Is this the kind of Jesus that you're teaching in your homes or at Vacation Bible Adventure or any of that? My prayer is that's not true. The big question here is how much of your life comes from Jesus? Jesus. As we conclude today, one of the things that I want to uh, share with you is uh, that I really think this church is doing some great things. You know, I've only been here a year, but in the year that I've been here, I've seen so many of you serving in the community, loving Bellevue and beyond, loving the kids that are here. I mean, Sunday mornings, I have the greatest job of being able to wander around and just see how much you are loving on our kids. Thank Thank you for how you serve and share the gospel with them and how you model it with your own faith. Now, one thing um, I like a lot are baptisms. And uh, particularly for a couple of reasons. But one, because I like to pour water on babies and see their expressions. <laughs> but also because it's, it's like the one moment where I feel the baby was fine. It's, it's one moment where I feel I actually have some sort of power over you. <laughs> and I, because you have a question you have to answer, right? Those of you that are members or are a part of this church, the elder will turn to you and go, do we as a church, will we uh, promise to raise and care for and love and walk alongside of these children as they lean, uh, lean into their faith? And uh, it's at that baptism moment, at that um, question moment, that I feel like we as a church have the biggest opportunity to do something significant. So I want to ask you if you would, maybe think about it in a different way from here on out. So as thinking about it with this, uh, I I am the way, the truth, and the life, what if that is how we modeled how we lived out our lives of loving and caring for kids at their baptism? What if we model what it means to follow Jesus and allow Jesus to be the road in which we walk on in everything? What if the truth that we believe in says we're going to love the world, but we're going to hold strongly to what Jesus says And what if the life that we we model is a life that a student or a child could look at and go, oh yeah, that's something that I want. We we were a part of a Sticky Faith thing through Fuller Seminary last year, and we have not forgotten about that. One of the things that it says in the Sticky Faith model is that uh, we need to provide uh, opportunities for children and youth and students to be known. And so that's one of the reasons why we have them down here this morning, because we want them to be known to the whole church and not just be in an upper building. We also want them um, to know and to, be, and to be hearing the same things you are because we believe very strongly that uh, the message reaches to everyone. So now young people, specific charge for you. So you guys that are kids, this is for you. Would you live your lives differently today? Would you take a look at the faith that you are living uh, this journey? And would you talk to your parents and say, Mom or Dad, how can I follow Jesus with my life? That would be a great question. Now, we should probably close with just the final coffee shop conversation. I'll tell you what happened. So I told you I got back to my dorm room. I sat down and I had really what I would call a crisis of faith. For about three months, I read my Bible and kind of just went through the motions and didn't really know what I was believing. But uh, I got to a point where I knew that I had to do something. So I started to serve at a rescue mission in downtown Seattle um, and just started living my life in that way. I started uh, applying to go on some different missions experiences in the summer and uh, did that and uh, slowly my faith started to be built back up and uh, around uh, the spring of that year I was asked to apply for a job at my school to be a student ministry coordinator. Uh, And what that really meant was I was going to be walking alongside a freshman when they came to school the following year and helping them to understand how their faith plays out. And the way I did it was taking this verse and encouraging them that it just wasn't about being able to defend it with your words, but a lot of times we share and defend our faith with our actions and with what we're doing, and I used the way, the truth, and the life to do that with them. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, we uh, are grateful for the opportunity to come to be with you. To know, God, that you both meet us here and you meet us where we are when we're struggling. God, we know that you are good and we pray that that would reflect in our faith. God, thank you for loving and caring for us. In Jesus' name, amen.